Your Newcastle. Welcome to Your Newcastle podcast. Our episode today is putting the spotlight on our Citizen of the Year 2021, Associate Professor Dr. Kelvin Kong, with a guest co-host, the amazing, the wonderful local storyteller, Donna Mayen. Welcome to the podcast, Donna. You're here in the studio with me. Tell me a little bit about your life here in Newcastle and your experiences. Thank you so much and it's lovely to be here. Hello, Dr. Kelvin Kong. Lovely to share this afternoon talk with you. He's a wonderful colleague and very proud of his achievements. So I was born in Canamble, grew up at the camp, was taken away because of the government policy removing Aboriginal children from families. It was a long train ride and arrived here in Newcastle on the 22nd of April, 1960. So it's my anniversary today. Oh, Donna. And uh, happy to be here. What a bittersweet day for you today. Yes, a big day. And usually I'm sitting watching the clock ticking by, but I forgot because I was coming in this afternoon with you. So it was an hour late. I thought, oh, Missed it, but 30 years of healing and I'm able to talk about it. So I was adopted by two new Australian parents who were the best and raised me with a lot of love. I went from the camp where I was one of 11 children to now an only child. That was probably the biggest adjustment for a five-year-old girl. So I was educated here, married a beautiful non-Aboriginal man and if it had been anybody else, my story would be different. was able to find my Aboriginal family when I was 27 Went back home to Canamble and met nearly all my aunts and uncles and my dad and mum and my siblings. They all went home when they were 15, but I didn't want to because I thought as a five-year-old child, they sent me away. They didn't want me. They didn't come looking for me. But being able to meet my mob again, that didn't happen to all of the members of the Stolen Generation. My story is unique and it's well known. I've worked with the Awabakal community for 32 years and it's lovely to see the next generation come through and then the next generation. It's a really unique story. I mean, everybody's story is unique and being part of the stolen generation, those challenges just in and itself, I just can't imagine. And then the way you have used those experiences and the people in your life to become a real leader in our community, not just for reconciliation, but for everybody in the community to learn and to heal from. I think you're a very special person. And I think the more people that understand your story and understand the stolen generation and those challenges, Mm. the better we can all be as a society. Thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate and take your words on board. You know, when you study poverty and disadvantage and been working that for 32 years, I so understand the broken hearts and the grief. And it's compound grief because it's one after another after another. We have so many losses, you know, and then in the broader spectrum, you know, when we see images on television, like we saw with the murder of George Floyd, it just breaks your heart. The last 12 months, I have cried every day. Because it's not only your own grief, but it's national grief as well. So, yeah, that's my heart to work with and empower Aboriginal women, their families. And it's not in a big, loud way. 
It's just one heart connecting with one heart at a time. Well, we see you and we see your work and we thank you for it, Donna. Thank you. And generations to come and people like Kelvin Kong, who is a professor, Australia's first Indigenous surgeon in ENT, he recognises that... Aboriginal people have practiced medicine in this country for 60,000 years. Mm. Kelvin, you are a beacon for people in Newcastle, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, just your career alone. At the moment, we are talking to you while you're in Darwin. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing in Darwin. So firstly, I want to acknowledge country and I'm coming from Larrakee Nation. So I'm a guest here. So it's a real privilege and how lovely is technology that we are able to have this conversation through the internet to be able to chat about these important issues. Big acknowledgement to Donna, her testament and survival is something that we take for granted. And I think for our listeners to this podcast, it's really important to see what that actually means in the, in the policy that Australia had. And that being that prior to 1967, so if you're born and you're listening to this before 1967, mm-hmm. our mob were not recognised in this country prior to that. We were considered part of the fauna and flora, which is quite sad because it meant that not only were we not recognised in the Australian history, but also that the systems, the policies and the structure around which this beautiful country was made actually excluded a lot of amazing, incredible people. And I think Don is one of those people who... I think we forget when we're talking about the importance of that. And so when she reflects on that journey that she's been through, the fact she can still come through with such humility, such grace, and and part on the wisdom that she's experienced in such a devastating way is absolutely beautiful. So my hat's off to you, Auntie. I think it's it's an incredible testament. And I think leading to that then is that I stand on on the shoulders of people like you that have actually paved the way because I certainly acknowledge that I would not be where I am without the pioneers we've had in Aboriginal Australia. And I think it's important to acknowledge our beautiful city and and how important it's been for the leadership of our city to allow this to happen. The fact of having the conversation is wonderful. Since the award that I saw you, I'm pleased to say that I'm now a professor, not associate anymore. And that's really exciting itself because there's some kind of recognition that's going there. And again, going back to any work I do is is a testament to our community, both Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, that you know what, as Nova Cashians, we're killing it in this world, big wide world. And I think that's pretty cool. It's really cool. Here I am in Larrakee Nation. And so the last 12 months, I haven't been able to get to community to do some of the work. So I've kind of reverse engineered that. And I've got everyone from the community to come to Darwin. So downstairs, we have more than 50 Aboriginal health workers from places like Tiwi Islands, from Uendamu, from Western Australia, from the Kimberleys, from South Australia, from APY lands. We've got pretty much all of our remote Aboriginal communities represented. And they're the strength of what we're trying to move forward with. That strength is about getting the capacity into the knowledge base of how important ear disease is to them. And so we're running a two-day workshop on consolidating the information on ears, how to manage ears, how to look after ears, how to look for help, when to look for help, and designing apps, which they're really, really clever and clear at doing. And funnily enough, you know, they're probably the most engaged in social media of all the groups I look after. And these are the most remote where you probably don't get internet in a lot of places. So it's a really cool thing to be up here and be able to give back to that because I think that's important in making sure that the generations that have been affected by these policies are actually back engaged in society. 
It seemed just being the Newcastle Citizen of the Year, Professor Kong, for the work that you're doing on country in Darwin at the moment and have done for many, many decades is not really a high enough accolade. And when you remind us of the challenges that Donna would have faced before I was actually born and not actually being recognised, not only as a citizen, but as just a human in this country, we have so much to make up for and it will take time but we need to make some big steps and I know you're really passionate about supporting Indigenous education you're really passionate about giving back and then that's why you're in Darwin at the moment trying to address that real disparity in health outcomes between our Indigenous population here in Australia and our non-Indigenous population I just think it is wonderful to have you as a champion, not only for your profession and for your people, for Australia and for Newcastle. And I think that the more we can celebrate Donna's work and journey and your work and journey, the closer we will come to understanding that what we have lost in value for several hundred years, we need to make up for that. And making up for that is going to only enrich every single one of our lives. It's really nice to hear that. And I think it's a real journey that we're going on. And and if I can say something controversial for our listeners out there, is that this journey is not an Aboriginal journey. This journey is about Australia and about our fabric of society and what we value and what we recognise. This is not about understanding the concepts of Aboriginal people in some kind of exotic way, like we're some kind of trophy from that point of view. It's about that we're all Australian people and we live in the probably the most beautiful city in the world and that we're all going this journey together and understanding that. And these conversations are so, so important for us so people can hear those stories because we want to be part of that. And if I can use an analogy with some of my friends from Trans-Tasman where you see a young New Zealander travelling across the world whether they're Pākehā or, or non-Indigenous or, or Māori, is that they're actually able to talk about a lot of the Māori culture and have pride in that. They can all do the haka, they wear a lot of the totems, they engage in it in a very meaningful, serious way. You get our young travellers travelling over all over the world when we're allowed to travel before COVID, and they wouldn't know much and be lucky to say, oh, yeah, I know one Aboriginal follow, or but there's none of that real enriching engagement. And, and the wonderful thing for our country is that This is a beautiful culture that we want to share. This is a beautiful culture that we should be proud of. As Australians, this is our history together and we need to own that pride. Now, of course, there's stuff that's men's business, women's business and, you know, some of those things. But on the whole concept of it, as an Australian person, I implore that we actually really grasp this concept of what it means to be Australian and maybe redefine what we actually think is Australian and actually take that on because there's so many enriching things on all parts of society that we live in. It's your Newcastle. Access all our services and resources at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. We're living on the land, we're drinking the water, we're participating in the lives of people that occurred on this land tens of thousands of years ago. So we're all part of one tribe. I remember as a young girl being read Dreamtime stories as a normal book to be read to before I go to sleep. And I'm from a non-Indigenous background. And to me, that culture has just been embedded into me from a young age. And I think 
maybe that gives me a different mindset sometimes to other people of my generation. And I thank my parents for that because, you know, what they saw was the opportunity to embrace that rich culture that you're talking about, Kelvin, and the rich culture that Donna has been able to connect back with even after all those years of separation and the grief that has caused her and, you know, many hundreds of other people, thousands of people around the country. And to acknowledge that, occurred and that grief and that it was wrong and it shouldn't have happened is the first step but those next steps I think really need to take shape and you know both operating in the health sciences area you would have seen that disparity and Donna I'm not sure you're operating very locally for a long time what do you think is one of the big changes we could make particularly in health for Indigenous Australians? Yes well I've worked at John Hunter Hospital as the Aboriginal Liaison Officer for nine years and so I've seen our people come from all around the state into the hospital and being there to support them and of course they're building another hospital and more accommodation so that families can come and stay be with their loved ones especially if they think that they might die they want to be there the whole family needs to be there so that's one key thing that needs to happen people are getting educated we've got professors we've got so many teachers and nurses and doctors it's great when our People come to an Aboriginal doctor or they come to hospital and an Aboriginal doctor comes to their bed or they see Aboriginal nurses or Aboriginal social workers. You're very fortunate in Newcastle. That's happening. And so many people do Aboriginal studies at Biraban at Newcastle University. It's the most popular course. And so lots of non-Aboriginal people do those studies That's great because I had to go to uni to learn that stuff because I didn't grow up with that knowledge. So there's that we see in health that every staff member has to do respecting the difference. So like cultural awareness training and scaffolding, building onto that each year, more knowledge, more experience, more understanding. And then as you know, the mantra for the hospital is excellence every patient every time. Not there yet, but you know, they've got to aim to that. So more awareness, you know, as we get educated and then how do we put that into practice in everyday life so there's a whole lot of things going on as with brother kelvin a tidus media i've seen when i was in education the little children coming if you can't hear you can't learn if you can't hear you can't speak properly so it affects every aspect of a child's life we've got aboriginal audiologists and people working doing that testing so it's hand in hand We've all got an important part to play. We're all one chain connected to another. And here I am. I've outlived the stats for an Aboriginal woman. You know, I've passed my use-by date, but (laughs) I haven't finished yet. I've still got work to do. But I want to see our people live longer and I want to see them happier and that pursuit of happiness. Newcastle, as I've said before, not just because you're here, but, you know, it's a beautiful place to live. We don't have the racial tension that a lot of other rural country towns have. So it's the place where there there is opportunities for education, employment, for advancement, you know, to go from the basic social needs to self-actualization. So people didn't see me when I was locked in poverty. They didn't see the Donna that was angry for 33 years. And then 
you just wake up one day and you think, I'm sick of being angry. And you don't even know what you're angry at, but it's at a system, it's at injustice, it's invisible. And so then, you know, just taking one step at a time and jumping those hurdles one at a time at a time. So people look at me now and they think, we could never imagine you being angry, but that's healing and that's progress. It's a wonderful story, Donna. And you have every right, I think, to have been angry and to have stayed angry. But the fact that you're a bigger person and you have you know, made that decision to rise above that adversity is a story for all time. And as a local storyteller, you being able to tell that story, and I love it over and over again, makes me happy. And having our Citizen of the Year, Professor Kong, doing this amazing work, not only in his profession yes. at the top of ear, nose and throat surgery, but also for decades, making sure he's giving back to yes. our community in Australia, his community. I have been, Kelvin, on country in and around Darwin, in, in and around Kakadu. And I can tell you, I've been there from a young age and I've been back mm. there in recent times as an adult. And there is something about that country you are on at the moment mm. that is very special. When you're out, particularly away probably from the city, there is a spiritual experience I think that happens to everyone that gets to go and I think is privileged to be allowed to go out on country up into Kakadu or up into Arnhem Land. Do you feel that when you're there, Kelvin? I'm very biased. I think one of my country is still the best country in the world. Ha! <laughs> 100%. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Good food. So, but I'm saying that in a, in a cheeky manner because I tend to agree and I think kind of springboarding on what we are talking about before is that it's a lot about... Uh, us as Australians understanding what that means. And one of the best conferences I've organised was a conference we'd held in what we call Town Hall and also on War of My Country, where I got all the experts and they taught me to come to our area. And we had a meeting and we spent half the time in the lecture halls and the other half on the beach up on the conservation lands. And one of the beautiful special things about that is that getting your shoes off and sand between your toes and having a conversation around a, a campfire and talking about me being a saltwater man and what that means to me and how that is, was extremely enriching. And I told this story uh, a lot because it was important to me that we got a lot of these people from remote areas. So you talk about how spiritual it is, and they had one of the most important experiences. And even to this conference today, they were still talking about some of the experiences there, where we had people from the Kimberleys come and picked up at Newcastle Airport by a cab driver, realised I'd never been to Newcastle, realised I'm from remote Australia, turned the meter off, and just drove around the Wabagal country and showed them all the sites there. And I thought it was just the most enriching example of what it means to be an Australian and an enriching example of what it means to be a, a Nova Castrian. And that was really humbling for them. But about going back to country is that we think of this exotic part of the country when, in actual fact, connecting with country is about us connecting with our lands. And coming up here, I agree, it's so special that we can expose that. And you and I are very lucky. A lot of people won't get that experience to uh, enrich that. And I think where it's a bit sadder in our, in our communities that a lot of that's hidden and people think you have to come to Northern Territory experience that when it's in our own backyard and maybe that's something that 
we should be looking at better to how to engage at where we can actually open that up and get people mm. enthused to see the, the wonderful Richmond, you know, the caves up in, in where we are, a lot of the country, the beaches, the, the, the coastal walks we have. That's all contemporary, connected with country. And it's funny when we had all the COVID stuff, a lot of my non-Indian friends coming up to me going, I finally understand what you mean by connecting with country, you know. We couldn't go on a plane overseas. We will walk down the coast and it's just so beautiful. It's so enriching for us to be a part of what we're lucky to have. And I think that's really important for us to harness because when I speak to friends all over the world about the experience of having COVID, there's no place I'd rather be than where we are. 100%. It's an amazing experience actually to go out onto those sand dunes on your country, out on Warramai lands, and to be taken out there and find out how easy it is to find fresh water <laughs> in the right spots if you're talking to the right people and actually ha- have those experiences. Like I couldn't find it, but thankfully I was with Smithy and he found me some fresh water that you could just dig through the sand and drink straight away in your hands. Little experiences like that as locals, I think, make people understand how special the country is that you were born on and that we live on here in Newcastle and and in the region. And that connection to our own country or where we're living and the land where we're working can only make that adjustment through the rest of our population to understand the special importance of our Aboriginal heritage. And like you said before, we're all part of that journey. We're all on the same land. We're all part of one large extended family. And the nice part of our extended family here in Newcastle is the amount of collaboration and the amount of love and the amount of trust that we share between us. And I think it's been a really good example from the pioneer that preceded my day in Joy Cummings in the 70s, flying the Aboriginal flag on the first civic building in the country, really putting that flag on top of the building, but it's a mark in the sand to say, you know, all those years ago, this is Aboriginal land. It always was and it always will be. And we will be a city that recognises that proud tradition. And I'm very proud of the work that we've done. And by no means is it anywhere near over. It's only just beginning as I see it. And I think having ambassadors and advocates like Donna, like Professor Kong, and doing the work you're doing, not just in Newcastle, but around the country, and also that filters around the world, I think is something really special, the work in itself. What's happening in your Newcastle? Subscribe to our mailing list at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. I remember when we gave you the award in early 2021 as a citizen of the year, Kelvin, you told some of the funniest and best stories about working with children and restoring their hearing. And maybe you could share with the podcast listeners some of those really funny stories. (laughs) Well, there's two stories I share with you. One which kind of highlights the normality that we need to get to, but also the importance of hearing. The funny story that I really enjoy is one kid that didn't realize that farts make noises. And when you fix the hearing, they just kept farting and they just thought they vibrated and smelled. They didn't actually realize they made a noise. And the low frequency hearing loss was obviously correct. And I was just hilarious to hear the kid and just have this absolute joy with a massive smile on their face about making fart noise, which we just take for granted when we have those kind of bum jokes when you're in that kind of age group. But it was quite cute. The other kind of funny story, which is kind of a bit sad, and it goes to the point of what you're talking about in your upbringing, is that we need to normalise how beautiful the culture is. And I think one of those things I, I often talk about is, is race is such a social construct that it's not actually what it is, it's how we interpret it. And I had one kid come back who I had the best relationship with 
And I think one of the things I always talk about from that point of view is that I'm a surgeon who is a warrior my man. I'm not a surgeon that just operates on Aboriginal people. And so, you know, for them to see that there are people who are of all different diversity being a surgeon, you know, we often use a hashtag, I look like a surgeon, is that there is that diverse that we need to enrich. And this kid came back and we had a great time and he was telling me how he told his father about how good the experience was and how I can hear and how much he enjoyed my company and that surgeons aren't boring and old and all these kind of things that we had a lot of fun. And the final thing he says, and you know what, Dad? He was Aboriginal. And we didn't know whether to laugh or cry in that incident because here's this kid that just thought that there was a, uh, certainly a, a stereotype with being a surgeon, number one, but also a stereotype being Aboriginal. And it just broke down all those barriers and he just thought it was cool and fun. And I think when you get to that stage, that's where I think we've actually made a difference. And that's where we need to make sure these things are embraced and enriched because it's just about being a human being. And that's what's funny. That's why we need to celebrate you and Donna. So the young Aboriginal children, children from diverse backgrounds can see the successes of people like yourselves reflected in themselves. And obviously I'm a woman and I'm in politics and that can be difficult just based on gender. And you know what it's like I have this funny bias around when you spend time looking at things in popular culture, whether it's things on Netflix or movies, not that I get lots of time, but I'm not sure if you have the same experiences from an Aboriginal perspective, but I will rarely enjoy many of like a movie or a series if it doesn't have a strong female lead. (laughs) And I just wonder if I see a whole cast of men in a show or something, I'm like, oh, Yawn, yawn, yawn. I've seen all these old white guys before. I'm done with them. So I don't know. Do you have that same experience when you go and try and, you know, just choose popular fiction, television shows or whatever it is? Do you gravitate and go, like, I want to see myself reflected in what I'm consuming culturally? It's interesting because it's nice that you have the choice. Growing up, there was no choice. Our TVs are very vanilla and still remain very vanilla across a whole lot of aspects of it. But when you do see someone you relate to, you certainly draw attention to it and also you get a bit excited when you see someone that's different a really good example of the if i can think of the other way of thinking about that is that i was very lucky and privileged to go to hamilton last week the theater production in sydney and the cast is pretty much non-indigenous so it's all, all indigenous and all diversity backgrounds with a very narrow white focus and it was about american history for those who don't know uh, that part of it but it was just so en- engaging and enriching to see these amazing, talented actors and actresses who probably never had the opportunities to be lead roles in a whole lot of other productions. And it's actually a novelty to see so many amazing actors up there. In actual fact, they just haven't probably been given the opportunities around some of the other works that have been done. And I think that was a real uh, kind of a, a funny reflection that how nice it was to see that. And even I heard a lady sitting near us, an old lady, who was saying it was George Washington. I think it was a Torres Strait Islander man. I have to check the cast. And she goes, George Washington wasn't of colour, was he? And it kind of <laughs> snapped snap with her and how those that I had this biggest smile on my face and, you know, we ended up chatting and, and engaging with him saying, you know, that's the irony of it. It's just about opportunities and, and how people struggled and all these kind of things. And it was really good to have that conversation. But, yeah, it's great. I think we need to. And, and even... If you think of the Australian law with film and industry, programs like some of these soap series in the afternoons have been mandated in the UK to have more diversity in their cast because it's so vanilla. And it's coming back to us and that's where they've put some diversity. I won't put names in it, of course. I don't think it upset anyone. But the interesting part of that was it took an overseas audience 
to tell us that we're too vanilla for us to realise that we're very vanilla. Yeah, when you reflect in popular culture of the day back to the audiences that are consuming it, you are trying to reflect what your culture is. And if people aren't seeing themselves, how are they going to relate to it? And for me, with mine, Kelvin, it was only very recently, surprisingly, I've had the choice to watch the leading lady. It wasn't when I was young. There was always the boy, there was Huckleberry Finn, or there was the boy, there was Storm Boy. There was always the boy doing something interesting with all his friends. And maybe, you know, three tiers down, there was the girl that could hang on and join in in whatever they were doing. But it is even modern as a woman to, you know, be able to have that broader choice around, no, there's heaps of opportunities. And the story about George Washington, I was thinking oh my goodness, we could rewrite history here. How is anyone going to know? We'll just tour this cast of Hamilton around and then no one will know. This is fantastic. We can, we can reverse the turntables. What about you, Donna? What, what have your experiences been? Well, growing up again, you know, it was all white people on television and the first Aboriginal person I saw was Uncle Jimmy Little when he brought out this song in 1963 and my parents were just ecstatic, you know, come out of your bedroom, come look, this beautiful Aboriginal man. And I'm sitting there because I didn't see any Aboriginal people in Newcastle. I'd only met the first two Aboriginal girls when I got to high school. So there was no role models. There was no Indigenous studies at school. I remember when I was 14, 15, I went and saw To Sir With Love. And I went back 15 weeks in a row to watch it. Subliminally, I didn't know what was happening, but I saw a proud black man who wasn't a cleaner or here he was in this key role and I think I was thinking, well, if he can make it, I can, because I was really struggling at 15. To go on from that, you know, now we've got our own Aboriginal Arts Theatre and Arts Council, and to see, you know, our play, Ray Kelly wrote his play, Get Up and Dance. We performed that here in Newcastle in the 90s. Brilliant, you know, he's our walking theatre. To see NITV come on board in 2012, we have our own TV station, we've got Indigenous newspaper, I think it's been 20 years since the Koori Mail's been coming out. I needed to see those pictures and hear those stories so that it could enhance my own identity. But you're right, if I'm going to buy a DVD, it'll have black people on the front. Oh, I love that. You've got the same, <laughs> I same, have same to. experience. I just have yeah. to. And, and books, so, you know, it just inspires us whenever we've done little cultural days at schools you know you have 20 minutes with this person then the next one and the next one and so I used to do a show and tell of contemporary Aboriginal people because they're getting the traditional information they're getting the artifacts you know and art so I would talk about role models and high achievers and at the end of the day always always a little kid would come up to any number of us and say I'm Aboriginal or my dad's Aboriginal or my uncle, when you give them a positive role model, they want to cling to it. They want to identify then. Back in the 60s, we were on the bottom of the social heap and so we had no one. But that's a change that we can do and motivating our own people and just enhancing that cultural identity is really important. Well, we celebrate you, Donna, and your work and everything you've done for our community here in Newcastle. Thank you so much. And Kelvin, we are officially celebrating you as our 2021 Citizen of the Year. I really appreciate your time. I mean, you're in between appointments in Darwin, working to help people in our community, sharing your expertise and your knowledge, returning hearing 
to people in our communities, to young people, to old people. Thank you for your work and thank you for your advocacy also for the City of Newcastle. That's your Newcastle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen. 